So, how do you know that you are a Christian? How do you know that the person sitting beside you is a Christian? Or the person in your family who says they're a Christian? Or a person who is a friend of yours who claims to be a Christian? We don't have barcodes on our wrists where, that we can scan and say, oh, I can see the heart of that person. They're a true believer in Christ. They're following Christ. We don't have certificates on our walls that certify, yeah, we are Christians. So how do you know? And it seems that many people who pre-pandemic would have called themselves Christians are questioning that today. They're asking questions like, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I want to be a Christian anymore. Or what really makes up a real Christian? And I think that part of the reason that that happened was because during the pandemic, we didn't meet for a long time. And there was no social pressure to gather. And during that time, people began to evaluate their faith. They began to think about it. They began to question, am I really a Christian? Do I really believe this stuff? Without that social pressure of having to be at church, more thinking happened. And you may have heard of this cultural phenomenon that's been going on for a while now called deconstruction. And it means to break down and analyze something to discover its true significance or its core. And with respect to our lives, it means to look at the things that we've constructed our lives on and evaluate whether or not they really are true or foundational or we still abide by that. And sometimes deconstruction is good if we have built our life on a lie. And then we find out that there's a lie. And we have to change the way we live. We're going to live differently because of the lie that has been exposed. Many are, are doing this now, though, with their Christian faith. You may know some who are either questioning seriously or have drastically changed the way that they're living because they no longer believe or they question certain things about the faith. Maybe they have doubts about the church. Maybe they have doubts about the Bible. Maybe they have concerns about what they see or the people that they've interacted with who call themselves Christians. Or maybe they've been influenced to think that much of what we believe is not true. And there's, there's reasons for this. So in addition to the pandemic, we've seen lots of scandals in the church, prominent leaders or prominent denominational leaderships involved in scandal. And people look at that and say, well, like, the church, it's, it's at its core, at its leadership level, it's rotten. Or maybe people have experienced with Christians or with someone from the church being treated terribly. And they say, well, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with that. So, people are questioning, do I want to remain a Christian? And what is a true Christian? But what if 
since we don't have barcodes and we don't have certificates on our walls, we could find some markers that would clearly identify true Christians. What if there are some identifying characteristics that would confirm either in our own lives, to ourselves, or to other people, yeah, that person is, is uh, following Christ. And I think that would help if we knew what we were looking for. I think it would help us, who claim to be Christians, to just be assured, yes, God is in my life. I see that these things are happening. Or if you're not a Christian, it would enable you to at least know what to look for. And you might even be able to ask those who claim to be Christians if they don't have these things in their lives, why not? And the good news today is that the Bible is full, the New Testament is full of markers of true, authentic Christianity. And today, we're going to find three of them, three central markers that show a person is an authentic Christian. And I pray that some of you will be encouraged today just in your faith. Maybe you've been wavering. Maybe you've been wondering. Maybe you've been doubting. And I pray that the Spirit will speak to your spirit today to encourage you in your faith that you're a Christian. And maybe others of us need to be awoken to the fact that, wow, this area of my life is really lacking. What's going on there? I need to pay attention to that. So these markers will serve as a spiritual diagnosis. And when you get a diagnosis that's accurate and true, you can at least deal with the results and with the reality. And again, if you're not a Christian, this will help you identify real ones, hopefully. And all this will come from our first message in the letter to the Colossians today. And Colossians was written by a guy named Paul who wrote about half of the New Testament. And he writes to this people that he has never met. He didn't found the church, but he's met the guy who did found the church. His name was Epaphras. And Epaphras has come to visit Paul who is in prison for his faith. And Paul feels compelled to write a letter to the Colossians. And in this letter... As he begins, we're going to find three marks of the true, authentic Christian, but we're also going to learn how to live the Christian life so that these marks become more prevalent in our lives. And I pray that today you'll be encouraged. You'll have your eyes open and that God will speak to you about real, authentic Christianity. So please find Colossians in your Bibles, or I've included in the bulletin for you a copy of the entire letter of Colossians, and you might use that and take it with you wherever you go, maybe at school or on the bus. Uh, This is all that there is to Colossians, and yet there's so much in there, and I just thought this is a way for you to connect and uh, be reminded of what Colossians has for us. It's also on page 834 in the Pew Bibles if you want to follow along. And we start our study of Colossians today, which is going to go through September, October, and November. So we're just reading the first eight verses today of Colossians, which say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you 
since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul starts by identifying himself. And in ancient letters, unlike our letters today or our emails today, the first thing that the letter writer did was identify themselves. So Paul identifies himself and his role. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, which meant that he was this divinely appointed messenger who was sent by God to deliver the good news to people all over the world. And then he mentions his co-worker, Timothy. And Timothy turns out to be a pretty significant person in the early church as well. In fact, we have two letters addressed to Timothy, preserved for us in the New Testament from Paul to Timothy when he was a pastor. So Paul and his co-worker Timothy are writing this letter. And then you would identify, after you identified yourself, you'd identify the recipients. So he writes to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. And saints means holy ones or those set apart by God to be holy. Every Christian is a saint. You don't have to do a certain amount of works or whatever. According to the New Testament, we're all called to be holy, the holy ones. So he writes to these brothers and sisters in Colossae and says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And remember, Paul does not know them personally. He didn't plant the church there. So how do you build a bridge to people that you're writing to? Well, you tell them that you're praying for them. And Paul does this in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So that's a great way to build a bridge. Tell the person you're praying for them. Tell the person or the people you thank God for them. And that whenever you pray for them, you are thankful, which is pretty amazing. When you think about people that you pray for, are you always thankful for them? Sometimes you may just be crying out for help to deal with them. But Paul says, no, we're always thankful when we pray to God about you. Why? Because they were showing and living with the marks of authentic Christianity. And so he reveals those marks to us. So here's the first one in verse 4. Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So the first mark of a real Christian is someone who has faith in Christ Jesus. Real Christians have faith in Christ Jesus. And today we're talking a lot about different faiths in this world. Oh, you're a person of faith. But a Christian is a person who has faith in Christ Jesus. They're not just a person of faith, of general faith. Yeah, I believe that there's some sort of spiritual world. No, I have faith in Christ Jesus. And the question is, what does that actually mean, to have faith in Christ? 
Well, it means to believe and accept as true Jesus' claims and teachings. But it's more than just something that we do in our minds. It means to place the trust of your life onto Christ. And a true Christian would say things like, I believe Jesus is who he said he is, who he claimed to be, God the Son. I trust that Jesus lived a sinless life. I trust that Jesus' death on the cross paid for my sin or transgression of God's law. I trust that God will accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for me to forgive me my sins. I believe that Jesus is resurrected today and sits at the right hand of God. I believe that Jesus lives in me spiritually right now. I trust Jesus as Lord over the universe and Lord over my life. Therefore, as Lord, he has the authority and right to teach me how to live in a way that gives glory to God and helps others. And I trust Jesus to bring me through death into eternal life with Christ. So those are the kinds of statements that a person with faith in Christ would make. But again, Christianity is not just a mind thing, and it's not just a word-spoken thing. It's an action thing. So a true Christian lives with faith in Christ Jesus. And so the way that they live reveals their faith in Christ. So they live to obey Christ's commands, not because Christ is some mean taskmaster, because they trust Christ and that his commands are for our good. And so we seek to obey his commands. A true Christian who lives by faith will invite Jesus to speak truth into their lives, about their lifestyle, about their choices. And they will respond to Jesus' words and say, yes, that's true about me. I need to change. They trust Jesus to see them through hard times. They live with an assurance of things hoped for and a certainty of things not seen. And one commentator puts it like this, the character of faith, true faith, is sheer trust in the power and grace of God. And life brings challenges that will test the authenticity of our faith. So say, for example, you have a loved one in your life, and they know Christ, and they get sick, and then they pass away. And many of you have gone through that reality. Of course, you grieve. But as believers, we grieve with hope. With hope, because Jesus promised to take our loved ones to be with him at the moment of death. And even though we deeply miss our loved ones, we know that they still live in Christ's presence. So we grieve, but not as those who grieve without hope. And in that crucible, that moment of difficulty, a person who is a Christian lives by faith and trusts God has taken my loved one to be with Christ. So that's the first mark of a real Christian. They live by faith in Christ Jesus. Number two, the second marker is love for all the saints. And this is again, it is chapter one, verse So again in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. 
So Christians, real Christians, love other Christians. That's what this is talking about. And this is not the warm, fuzzy, feeling kind of love. This is action love. Love that shows care and concern. So it may involve saying, I love you as a brother or sister in Christ, but it's much more about acting with love. So listening to the concerns of others, sympathizing with the losses of others, praying for the needs of others, helping to take care of one another's kids, bringing a meal to help a family during a time of sickness or exhaustion. And this love involves self-sacrifice. And we offer this love because of our common relationship with Christ and we've been adopted into God's family and God says to his kids, love one another. Don't just say you love one another, love one another. So if someone claims to be a Christian and they hate Christians, that's a contradiction. And it raises the question, where am I at? And we might shake our heads at Christians who are like that, but My question for you is, where are you at when it comes to loving other Christians? Where are you at when it comes to loving the people in this room? Do you love them? Or do you think about other believers beyond what you see on Sunday? Maybe Christians annoy you. Sometimes that happens. But do you distance yourself from another because they're a bit different than you? And the church has the potential to be this alternative community where people from all different walks of life, all different ethnicities, all different classes and economic status come together under Christ and love one another. That's the potential. That's what we're called to. Or we can be just like the world. Divided, clicky, exclusive, arguing, dividing again with those we disagree with. But the true Christian acts out of love and compassion for other believers. So that's marker number two. So we have faith in Christ Jesus. We have love for other Christians. Number three is hope in God's future blessings. So hope in God's future blessings. And again, verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And remember, he's giving reasons why he's thankful. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, number one, and the love that you have for all the saints, number two, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, number three. So hope in God's future blessings. And one commentator describes God's future blessings like this. He says, hope is the totality of blessing that awaits the Christian in the life to come. So hope is the totality of blessing that awaits the Christian in the life to come. Well, what are some of those blessings? Well, first of all, it's faith or or rescue from death at the moment of our death. When we die, we don't cease to exist. We immediately go to be with Christ. So that's one of the future blessings, the hope that awaits us. And then when Christ returns, we'll be given a resurrection body that's incorruptible and glorified. So we'll be released from all the limitations of our current body. That's a future hope. And 
will also be made completely whole. And by that, I mean, you know, those wounds that you've accumulated in life, those struggles that you're trying to overcome, those abuses that may still drag you down, those things that have been hard and impose trial on you, those will all be gone and healed. And then we get to look forward to life in Christ's presence on the new heaven and new earth. And we get to look forward to no more tears or pain or death. And those are just a few of the blessings that await us, the totality of God's blessing that awaits the Christian in the life to come. So if we're Christians, we have to ask ourselves, are we living with hope? Would people around us describe us as hopeful people? Or would they say, oh, that person is negative and dark most of the time? Does hope permeate our perspective regardless of life's difficulties? And I praise God for the many seniors in this congregation who live with hope. And I remember especially when the pandemic hit and we started to reach out and try to connect with people who were isolated. And I remember talking to people 80 and older and they were concerned about the pandemic, concerned about the virus, taking precautions. And yet, I remember one specifically saying, I trust God to protect me, but even if this virus ends up taking, to me, taking me, I'm not worried all be way better off. So that's living with hope. Hope in the totality of blessing that awaits the Christian in the life to come. And I'd also like you to notice something very unique about what Paul says in relating these three together in these verses. Notice the word because at the beginning of verse 5 in this translation. Because. The cause of. Why do they love all the saints? Why do they have faith in Christ Jesus? Verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now this is the only time in all of Paul's writings that he makes hope the cause of love and faith. The cause of love and faith. So usually he's talking about faith, hope, and love. You know that passage in 1 Corinthians 13? Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So he, he lists them repeatedly as these markers of the authentic Christian life. But only here does he make hope the cause or a grounds for faith and for love. So think about the implications of that. If you and I ponder and pray and spend more time thinking about the hope laid up for heaven it can motivate us inspire us to love one another and to live with faith in Christ Jesus and so let's just practice that right now see what happens so I want you to think about yourself in eternity and and all of a sudden you're there and you see Jesus face to face. 
and you are in your new resurrection body. So all the limitations in your current body, gone. And all the wounds, all the problems, all the burdens, all the cares, gone. And you get to see this renewed earth that God has prepared for us. And sin is gone. And you're in perfect relationship with all the people there. So got that picture in your mind? How, how do you feel? Isn't that like amazing? Relief? Almost unbelief that it could actually be? Oh, it sounds so great. And it will be great. And we stay there and then we come back into our day and say, oh yeah, that, that's what I have to look forward to. That's coming. And so I, I can love you. I can continue to live by faith in Christ today. Do you see how that could work? Because of the hope laid up for us in heaven. That's how authentic Christians live. With faith in Christ Jesus, love for one another, hope for the blessings laid up for us in the future. Which leads me to another question. How confident are you that you can pull this off consistently? Live with a great, consistent faith in Christ. Live with this consistent love for others. Live all the time with hope. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty shaky on that one. Sometimes I feel love, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm hopeful, and sometimes I'm not. But the good news in this passage is that we don't have to do this in our own strength. So the next question is, what enables someone to live this real Christian life? The answer is the life-changing, powerful gospel. So notice this in the second half of verse 5 and verse 6. So he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, that's where we end. Now in the middle of verse 5, five he says, of this, the hope laid up for you in heaven, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. So notice, Paul portrays the gospel as a force or power and this gospel came to the Colossians and it bears fruit and it is increasing in the whole world and increasing among them and encourages us and empowers us to live with hope, to live by faith in Christ Jesus, and to love one another. We don't have to do this on our own. We don't have to marshal up this, own strength, this strength on our own. We let the power of the gospel flow through us so we can live these real, authentic Christian lives. Which then begs the question, what is the gospel anyway? And the word translated gospel means good news, of what kind of good news? What's the good news? So here's a very simple definition of the gospel. It comes straight from the Bible, Romans 1.16. And this verse is written by Paul, the same writer to the Colossians, and he writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
meaning that when we have that initial faith that we talked about earlier, God rescues us from the domain of darkness that's talked about in verse 13, which we'll talk about next week. And the power of the gospel comes into us. It is the power of God unto salvation, which means God is continually working in our lives to bring us to salvation. And you might say, I thought I was already saved. Well, yes, in one sense. But the gospel saves us in the past from the penalty of sin and is saving us in the present from the power of sin and will save us in the future from the presence of sin. So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. That's one definition of the gospel. Taking us all the way through death into eternity. Another definition is found in, or description is found in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 6. Now, same author, Paul. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So, notice again in 1 Corinthians 15, 2, he says, the gospel you have received, and by which you are being saved. So there's the past tense saving, initial, and then we are being saved as we continue. And then he says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then appeared to more than five hundred. And he says, this is the gospel. So this is talking about the central events of the gospel, the good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. And remember when talking about what do people who have faith in Christ say? They say, I believe this and I live in light of this. So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel of Jesus securing our pardon from sin, and that's not even all of it, is the gospel of the abundant life. Jesus came that I might have, uh, he says, I, might, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. So the fullness of God, the fullness of life, that's all the gospel. And this gospel came to the Colossians, it grew, it bore fruit in them, and empowered them to live these markers of the true Christian life. Which begs another question then, how do you get the gospel into your life? How did the Colossians get the gospel into their lives? Well, that's talked about in the second half of verse 6 and verse 7. So remember, he talks about the gospel which has come to you. It's bearing fruit. It's increasing as it also does among you. End of verse 6. Since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. So how did the gospel get into the Colossians' lives? They heard it, they understood it, they learned it, and ultimately they believed it. Heard, understood, learned, believed. They trusted that this message was true and that Jesus was trustworthy, so they believed with their minds and committed their lives to follow him. And if you're a Christian, here today God sent someone to bring you the gospel. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a family member or a Sunday school teacher or a camp counselor or a preacher or a friend. Or maybe God just spoke to you when you were alone 
and you received the gospel, maybe you were reading the Bible and the gospel just leapt out of the pages and you received it and accepted. So God poured the gospel into your life once you heard it, received it, understood it, and believed it. And then God doesn't just leave us there and say, okay, that's it. You're on your own until you die. He continues to work in and through us to see us, remember, unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So our whole lives through, he's helping us, he's empowering us, he's sustaining us. And remember I said at the beginning we would not only learn three marks of a true Christian, but how to live as a true Christian. Well, here's how to live as a true Christian. To live the real Christian life, we must live from God and the gospel. And that word from is critical. It's not I'm living for God. I'm trying to perform. I'm trying to do all the right things. I hope God pays attention. I hope God affirms me. No, I'm living from God. I'm living from the power of the gospel. And when we live like that, then we're empowered as real and authentic Christians. I think half the time when people encounter Christians who are terrible to them, they're not living from God. They're living in the flesh in their own strength. But when we live from God and from the gospel, we're empowered to love others that we wouldn't normally love, to continue in the faith, to live with hope. And so we started by asking the question, how do you know if you're a Christian? Faith in Christ Jesus, love for other Christians, hope in the future blessings. These reveal God's work in us and through us and if you're a Christian here today I pray that some of you are experiencing the comfort of the Holy Spirit right now maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to your spirit and confirming you are a child of God because he's reminding you of that time that you showed faith that time that you loved that time that you continued to hope despite what was before you and maybe others of us have seen something in our lives and say wow I'm I've not been living by faith, or I haven't been living very hopefully, or I haven't been very loving. I need to depend on God and his gospel more. And if you're not a Christian here today, a couple things I have to say to you. The first thing is, at least now you know what to look for in a true Christian. Do they love? Do they live with hope? Do they have faith in Christ Jesus? And the other thing I would say is, I would ask you to consider actually receiving the gospel. You might think, you know, this gospel stuff, it's great for Christians. It works for them, but my life is going along just fine. I don't need God. I don't need Christ, okay? And I don't want you to say or consider putting the trust of your life onto Christ just because I say it's a good idea or it works for me. That's the epitome of life today, isn't it? You just try to find what works for you, and it works for Christians, but it won't work for me. It's not really a question of whether it works. It's a question of whether it's true. And so I would invite you to examine, is this true? Does it ring true? And, and maybe you know a Christian. Maybe you've come with a Christian or you're watching online. And, and talk to them about that. Or ask God to speak to you. Maybe as you read through Colossians. You've got it there. Read through it. Ask him to speak to you through it. And God has immeasurable blessings and companionship awaiting you. And so 
Whatever God has been saying to you, I want to invite you to speak to him now in prayer, and we're going to pray together, and then uh, we'll sing. Lord God, as we come to you today, we thank you for the gospel that came to us and empowered us and continues to empower us to live by faith and love and hope. And yet, Lord, true Christians aren't perfect Christians by a long shot. We have a lot of growing to do, a lot to depend on in you. And we pray that you'll continue to do your work in us to bring out these marks of authenticity more and more. Uh, so help us, Lord, and help us to learn and encourage one another to live from you, not for you. And for anyone here who is doubting their faith or not a Christian, I pray you'd speak to them too, Lord. It's a huge deal to think about trusting your life onto someone different than whatever we have been trusting our life to. But Lord, reveal yourself and speak, I pray, and open our eyes to who you are. Thank you, Lord, for sending the gospel and your son to us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.